your uh, wisdom as I, uh, as I do this. And I pray that you be with the folks who are here this morning, help them to uh, um, just set aside any, anything that would get in the way, Lord. Help them to hear from you and, and to know you more through the message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> for a second week in a row, my slides are going to not cooperate. They were working when I walked up here. Aha! All right. Um, we are continuing in the book of 1 John. And uh, actually, I wanted to start, I, I don't know, I, I, read a, uh, I read a book this week about, um, about ways that people think that produce errors and stuff like that. And it was, it was an interesting book, but there was a story in it, which I researched and it wasn't true. So, but it's a good story. I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, it's about a, a physicist, a European, you know, like, like professor who was doing a speaking tour of colleges, and his chauffeur would go around with him to all of these speaking tours or speaking engagements. He would sit and listen to them. And after just months of university after university after university, the chauffeur said to this physicist, well, I could stand up and do the speech by this point. You know, I've heard it a hundred times. I could do it in my sleep. And I said, all right, well, we'll switch places this time. And so they they go to this this university, and the chauffeur gets up, and he delivers the speech, and um, a hand raises when he's done, and, a, and a, one of the professors there stands up and, and asks a question, and the, the chauffeur gets wide-eyed. And he says, you know what, that's such an easy, simple question. I'm not even going to answer it myself. I'm going to have my chauffeur here in the front row come up and answer this question. Um, obviously, it's, it's a made-up story, um, but it, it, it kind of makes a good point. Um, we can know something without knowing it. Does that make sense? Like we can have a basic rote understanding. We can repeat things, but like that doesn't mean we know it. And I'll give you another example. Actually, I, uh, I, in the last few years, I, I've really like read a lot more and I've picked up a couple of classes I've taken and, and I, I've pursued a bunch of different interests and I, I've always loved music. And I, I took a, I did this online class like on music, the history of music and the development of music, and I, I, I learned a whole lot there, and I, I just read a book on, on, um, on the history of classical music, and, and uh, I, I actually bought a piano, and I read several books on learning to play piano. I learned to read music. I can sit down and look at a, at a sheet of music and tell you what the things are. I can't hear them in my head. The notes. That's right, the notes. I, and I, I put enough time in to learn to play like, like one, two sets of scales, um, and, and I just cannot, like, I, I, I lack this thing, rhythm, and I'm not very good at hearing the notes. And, and, or, <laughs> and, and so between them, even though I can tell you all sorts of things about the history of music, even though I can tell you all sorts of things about how music is read, even though I can tell you, like, like about influences and how different, like, I know where, where symphonies came from. I know what the first opera ever written was. I know, you know, I know all of this stuff, but if, like, I were to sit down at the piano, I would look dumb. Like, if I were to call Rebecca up here, she would make faces at me, but she, she would be able to play the piano, right? And in a very real way, like, Rebecca knows how to play music, right? Larry knows how to play music. There are other people in this church. Adam knows how to play music. I know stuff about music, right? And I like it, but I, I can't play it, right? And I, it's, it's pretty unlikely I'm ever going to learn to play music. Um, 
there's a difference between knowing and really knowing. You all with me? Even though that sentence was kind of nonsensical. Um, and this is kind of what John drives at in this particular section of this book, or this letter that he wrote. Um, we're going to be looking at First um, John, again, chapter 2. If you uh, want to follow along in your Bible, it's good to look at the paper in front of you. I am a firm believer in that. Um, if you want to uh, follow along on the board, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. Um, real quick, John is writing a letter uh, to, to a church uh, or a group of churches. This is later, probably either at the end of the first century or the beginning of the second century. John is old as dirt at this point, right? Um, he is the last disciple alive. He is writing to deal with some false teachings that were happening in this church or in a group of churches. It's not real clear. Um, in the previous couple of messages, what we've looked at is John has talked about, um, about who Jesus is, right? He's talked about um, like sort of the identity and the person of Jesus. Last week, he talked a lot about the difference between walking in the darkness versus walking in the light, right? And like, like you know, you can say that you walk in the light. You know, but if you live in the darkness, you ain't walking in the light, you're lying. Does that make sense? Um, and, and so, um, we, like, that builds into this half of the message. Um, and real quick as we get into this, and it's, it's important, like, the, uh, there's been this argument forever and ever in the church about how works fit in with salvation. Like, we are saved by the blood of Jesus through faith, by God's grace, like, as this gift, um, but we sort of always want to add to that gift. You know what I mean? Like, what can I do to earn this that I've already been given? Um, and, and there's all kinds of disagreements, and it's one of the most common breakaway, like, like false teachings in the churches. Oh, well, you know, like you're, you're saved by Jesus, but like you definitely also earn it, and you earn it by doing the following things. You all with me? Um, and John, like, is not teaching this. And I want to make that very clear. You cannot, cannot, cannot earn God's love or God's forgiveness. You could feed the poor the rest of your life. You could um, follow the Ten Commandments as perfectly as humanly possible, which isn't very perfect. You could, I mean, every work you do, um, it, 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 it amounts to nothing, actually. Like in the Old Testament, you have one of the prophets that says... Uh, all of my best works are like filthy rags next to God's robes of righteousness. And the filthy rags is a reference to um, like menstrual rags, like kind of thing. I mean, it is really gross. He's saying, listen, the best I can do is not good, right? And, and you know, I cannot possibly earn my way to God. And it's important to understand this because we're going to talk a lot about work in this. Um, I'm going to read the previous section just so that you all have that as context. This is John 1. I don't have it on the screen. I'm sorry. You're going to have to put up with my reading. Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say we, excuse me, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, real quick, real quick, last detail I'm going to touch on before we kind of dive into the text. 
um, what John is talking about, walking in the light versus walking in the darkness, is about walking in this new life that we have in Christ, right? Like, it's this sort of new thing that we take on. Um, it's, it's um, there's this old way we live where we're sort of tossed about by our desires, we're tossed about by our flesh, or we're tossed about by our lust and our, lust and our emotions and our our other stuff, you know, like where somebody can cross us and we can be angry at them for the next 20 years, you know, or, or um, oh, this looks like a good thing, I'll go do this, regardless of what it does to my family or what it does to my friends or what it does to my, my own life. Like, like before Jesus, that's what happens. Once we come into new life, we live in relationship with God and we have sort of this new way about us. Right? We become almost like new people. Well, we, we become new people. Like we literally are new creations um, is what Paul calls it. Um, and so like understanding that what John is working on here is new life in Christ, brand new person. And we're going to dive into verse 1 of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things that you, so that you may not sin. Now, John is shifting gears. He has this big soaring rhetoric about light and darkness and you know, liars and truth and all this other stuff. And then he stops and he says, my little children, I am writing to you. And like, this has become very affectionate, right? Um, my, my kids were unfortunate enough to be stuck alone with me for three days. And, and there is sort of this shifting point that happens when I'm the only one watching them. Um, I don't know if any of y'all have experienced this, but like they reach a point where they stop listening to me. And so I'll say, children, clean your rooms now. And I'll leave, and about a half an hour later, I'll come back, and they're sitting in the exact same places, and nothing has been cleaned. Or so it looks, because the rooms are generally so nasty and messy and awful. Um, and I'll say, kids, clean your rooms, or I'm going to take things away from you forever. And my daughter says, well, which things? <laughs> At that point in time, I changed how I spoke with her. And my voice elevated, and I didn't say, well, my darling, little wonderful butterfly, let me explain to you which things. Instead, I ramped up my tone of voice, and I began speaking in very clear, unobjectionable, undebatable tones, and, and then they started cleaning. Um, later on, I sat down, and I didn't speak in that way. You know, I, my wonderful children, my love, lovely children, thank you for cleaning your rooms. Um, but, like, so John is shifting gears, and he's being very affectionate and very personal with them. And he's saying, listen, the reason I'm telling you this stuff is because I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to walk out of fellowship with God. And we think about sin like, like sometimes wrong, as though God is this big cosmic policeman up there waiting for us to do the wrong thing so he can step on us, right? Um, and it's really not the way it is. Sin is about broken relationship with God. It's about violating the basic rules of relationship with God. I... I do this, I don't know, we all do this to each other all the time, right? Um, my wife says something I don't like and I get irritable and I respond in a way that's not appropriate or not healthy or not the right words to say. And then suddenly our, you know, like I, I've created a, a rift. You know, if I were to date other women, that would be, yeah, a permanent rift. It would be the very last thing I ever do. Um, but it would also like, it would be a, like sort of a breaking point in that relationship. Sin is something we do that causes division between us and God. It is a breaking of our relationship rules. And so like John is making it clear, listen guys, I want you to walk in this new light. 
life. I want you to walk in the light. I want you to be new people in Christ. And I want you to avoid sinning. And part of that sinning is denying who Jesus is because that's one of the false teachings that's running around in this place is like who the identity of Jesus is. And that is not okay. Like we can't just say, oh, you know, Jesus is what I think he is. It's not, you know, Jesus was who he was. And so John says, listen, this is a problem. But there are other sins. And, you know, anyway, so he's saying, listen, guys, I'm writing to you so you avoid this. But, but if anyone does sin, um, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, um, this, all right, so there's some translator argument about this. It could say, but which is what this particular version I'm using says. It could also be and, because the word there is chi, K, or kappa, alpha. Anyway, uh, chi. And, and chi is sort of a universal word, and you figure out what it means based on the context, and there's a lot of disagreement. This could mean, I'm telling you these things that you don't sin, but if you do, or it could be, and if you do, why does that matter? Well, the assumption is, hey, you know what, either... No one will sin, but in the rare chance that you will, or, hey, we're all going to struggle, right? I don't know about you guys. I, I struggle. I am really bad at, at following God's rules. In fact, if there was an Olympic event, like for breaking God's rules, I would be a gold medal winner. Everybody with me? I would be the World Series winner of, of breaking God's law. Like, it is, it is an easy thing to do because we have a sinful nature. We're inclined to sin. We rebel. We're greedy. We're jealous. We're self-centered. We're angry. We're, we're lustful. We're all of these things. And so we naturally rebel against God. And my argument would be that this should be and. So and, if anyone does sin, um, meaning it's going to happen, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, this is sin that is not like... I know what I'm supposed to do, and I've waited out, and I've decided that I'm going to sin and then repent. All right? Have any of you all ever done that? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can just say sorry when I'm done. Um, because this creates like a more serious rift. Like It affects our heart. It changes us. Like This is a bad idea. Um, a better read of this would be um, you know, in these moments that we sin, like, or when we rebel against God, or when we, we act stupid, or when we haven't quite steer our way into proper like obedience to god or like if we have entrenched sin i mean i know a lot of people who do this like they have these things that it's like man i wish i could stop doing this but i can't right i wish i could stop being temperamental i wish i could stop um i don't know i i talk to a lot of folks who struggle with looking at like pornographic websites like i wish i could just stay away from from that it's in front of me all the time i wish i could stop um you know hating my my family like i know uh, over the years, I've talked to folks who just struggle with that, where they carry around anger and bitterness that's been there for years, and it takes a lot of work to root it out and get rid of it. I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, and so he says, listen, if anyone does sin, so like when we sin, and it's going to happen, uh, we have an advocate. An advocate is somebody who goes on your behalf, right? He is your lawyer. Um, he, is, he is on your side. And it's funny that he says this way, like, um, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, it sounds like a title, you know, like, I am Eric the Great. Right? No? <laughs> wow. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you laughing. Um, 
It, it sounds like a title, and it could be an early title, but more likely it's a reference to this idea. Now, righteous. We hear this word. It doesn't always make sense. To be righteous means to be in right relationship with God. That means I am in a place where I can speak and interact to God, with God, and I am in a right place. I do not have sin between us. I do not have problems that exist between us. Um, I, I always come back to it as an analogy, but like when I'm dealing with my wife, if she has given me something to do a hundred times and I've ignored it and it's reached a boiling point, my righteousness in relation to my wife is not quite right, right? She might say, Eric, I asked you to do this. I can't do it. I need you to do it. Are you ever going to do it? Well, yeah, but there was something good on TV and man, I... I really wanted to sit on the couch and do nothing instead. It's not that I didn't want to help you, but I didn't want to do it. Um, that breaks righteousness. Like Jesus is permanently righteous. He is a man who obeyed God's law. He was perfect in his obedience. He was perfect in his adherence. He is perfect in his relationship with God. Um, and as a result, he is able to stand our, on our behalf, like stand between us and God and communicate with him. Um, because God is so holy, this holiness is consuming. Man, he's been talking for 20 minutes. He's still on verse 1. Um, he is the propitiation for our sins. Uh, propitiation, that is a big word, right? And what it means is he is the active meter, like he is the person who actively meets God's wrath on our behalf. Meaning that God has built up wrath because this is how justice works, right? Like, I'm going to give you a hint that I'm a really bad parent. Um, my, child, my children, one might come to me and say, you know, well, Titus hit me. And my response is, did you hit him back? Well, yeah. Well, okay. Sounds like y'all are done. Because the way, righteous, or the way justice works, right? Like, is an eye for an eye? We like this when it's in our favor, right? That guy stole from me. I, you know, he needs, he needs his pound of flesh taken. That guy wronged me. He needs, you know. But we, we tend to not apply this as evenly when it comes to us, right? Like, we want mercy. We want grace. Like, God is this God of justice. And when we sin, sin demands punishment. It just does, or it's not really sin. Um, Jesus being our propitiation means that he stands in our place and takes punishment for our sin, meaning that all of God's wrath, all of God's anger, all of God's judgment over our sin is poured out on Jesus when he was on the cross. Like when Christ like, was crucified and died in our place, like all of the wrong and wickedness and everything else, God just poured all his wrath on him. And because he was righteous, because he was perfect, he could pay that bill because he wasn't paying his own bill. Right? I couldn't do that because I sin kind of all the time. Right? None of y'all can either. I'm just going to, before you get on your high horse looking at how awful Eric is, none of y'all can either. Because we all sin. Right? None of us can take propitiation for other people's sins. Um, and, and so what we see here, hey, he is righteous. And therefore he is able to be this stand in our place, take judgment on our behalf. And so when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. When he looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw our like wickedness and our like rebellion and everything else. And so he takes all of that punishment in our place, um, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now watch this. This can be very tricky. This means, well, actually, did any of you all have a Sam's card? What is the best thing about going to Sam's Club? What? 
sam- samples is the best thing about going to Sam's Club. I don't care what anybody says. Or is it really just me? Am I the only pig in the room? Jeremy? <laughs> the samples are the best part, right? And they have those samples out, and you can go through, and you can take a sample, and actually, if you are brazen enough, you can stand there and just eat all you want all day, right? It's true. If you're nice to the person, sometimes they'll give you whole pieces of whatever they're sampling. Like, that's fantastic. And it's free, right? Like, it's free. You don't actually have to buy anything else. If you can sneak in without a card, then it's really free. <laughs> and, like, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take kids to Sam's Club if I didn't have any cash. And you're like, all right, let's, we're going to go eat. Let's wander around Sam's Club for a while. And, you know, now they have that machine you can, anyway. Um, everyone who walks by that table can take one, right? And they can take one without purchasing. They can take it because it is free. Jesus is this propitiation. He is this covering for the sins, not just my sins because I'm up here preaching, not just your sins because you're listening to me, but he is the covering for the sins of the whole world, meaning it is free for anyone who will show up and take it, right? It is free for anyone who will step up and take what they, you know, like I will take some of this forgiveness. Thank you very much. Um, There are folks who will take this, and out of context, right, out of context, we'll talk about the, this as though it's like, oh, well, it's forgiveness for the whole world. That means everybody's forgiven automatically. It's actually not what it says because, like, in context of the rest of the section, he talks about, you know, walking in the light versus walking in the darkness, meaning an eternal life versus walking in death. He talks about, like, like being in rebellion against God. Like, this is not something that John takes lightly. And so, like, to say, oh, well, you know, it's automatic. It's like Dad's charge card. I can use it forever and never, ever pay the bill. Um, That's not exactly how it works. He is the propitiation. He's the covering for the sins of the whole world. But you've got to take it. You've got to walk by the table and pick the toothpick up and and consume it yourself, which makes me wish this was a communion Sunday because that would be a great analogy. Anyway... um, too late, I already used it. Uh, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now watch this. Um, he does not say this is how we know him, right? He is not saying this is how we earn that forgiveness. He is not saying anything of the sort. He is saying this is how we know that we know him, um, that we keep his commandments, meaning one is an offshoot of the other. How many of y'all are driving around sticking seeds in the ground right now? Not right now, but like for the last month. And in about a, you know, what, about a year, you'll be doing it again. But like, how do you know you have seeds in the ground? Because sometime next summer, you're going to get a harvest or plants growing and then fall is the harvest. I'm not a farmer. Um, we keep his commands as a byproduct of knowing him, right? It is something that grows out of knowing him. I, uh, I'm trying to lose 30 pounds before the end of the year. It ain't going to happen. I'm trying. Um, and to do that, I'm eating healthy food. I'm not eating as much junk food except this week. Um, I've exercised. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, I, it's like twice this week, okay? Like I two days this week. Anyway, um, I, I, I have sat on the stationary bike and like 
pedaled until my heart rate got way up and sweated and wanted to pass out and die and everything else. I've done my best to make life not fun anymore. And like the byproduct of that is like ideally I will lose weight and my heart will start working better, right? Um, but you got to do one to get the other. In this case, you have to know Jesus, and that is the byproduct of that is keeping his commandments. I talk to folks all the time who will say, I would follow God, but I'm not very good at being good. Or I try really, really, really hard, and I can't stop sinning. Or I, that's not how it works. When we know Jesus, the offshoot of that knowing Jesus is that we suddenly become capable of overcoming sin. But one comes out of the other. What does that know Jesus thing mean? Well, it's like this. If Rebecca were to sit down and play the piano, she could do it. If I were to sit down and play the piano, I can't do it. I can tell you that, um, I could tell you all sorts of things about music. I could tell you about how the, uh, the, the scales were put together. Like about the Greek, um, the Greek uh, philosopher who sat down and figured out like how strings, like if you pluck a string, it makes a sound, and he developed the note scale. I can tell you all about that. I, I read a book on it last year. Um, I can tell you all about how symphonies went from being an honoring to the king, like piece of music at the beginning of every concert, and they grew and grew and grew, and eventually became this. Um, that's sort of the overture at the beginning of every piece of music is an, um, an homage to the king. I can tell you that when you listen to the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah and you're supposed to stand up, did you guys know that? It's because the king of France, the first time it was performed, stood up because he thought it was about him. <laughs> and like, like, it's this great, you know, wow, we do this because, um, because he did it. Like, I can tell you all about music, but I can't play the piano. I can't do it. I have 15 apps on my phone for learning to read music, and I can pick it out, like just read it now. I can read it, but I can't play the piano. Rebecca can play the piano. Because Rebecca has a different relationship with music. She's learned to perform it. She is in the process of it. I'm assuming she sort of likes it at least, right? Um, she can write music, right? At least to a degree. Um, as it comes to God, I can know things about God. I can make loud proclamations about God. I can tell other people what they're doing wrong in relation to God, right? And there ain't no shortage of people who do that. Um, I can own, I own literally like 8,000 books about God. Um, I've even read a couple of them. Not very many. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not the same thing as knowing God, is it? Because knowing God is more than head knowledge. It's about a relationship that we develop with God. Um, and it, it's, it's multifaceted, the same way that any relationship is, right? Um, I think about Michael as one of, my, one of my closest friends, and I'm going to pick on him for a minute. Um, I met Michael like three years ago, and like Michael and I have spent, I don't know, conservatively, what, like 800 hours talking? <laughs> way too much time. But I... I can tell you, like, how Michael will react to things. I can tell you which chips Michael likes. I can tell you, like, I know all sorts of things about Michael, right? The, but it's not the same thing, like, as being friends with Michael. Like, I could tell you all those things. You could know them, but it's not being friends with Michael. My wife knows when I'm in a bad mood without me ever saying it. And it drives me nuts. 
Because she'll say, I know you're in a bad mood. Well, I didn't tell you, so you, you know. I haven't even been in the same room with you hardly at all today. And she's like, I just know. And she's always right, is what drives me nuts, except yesterday. Um, except yesterday, I was not in a bad mood. <laughs> um, a relationship with God exceeds beyond head knowledge. We obey his teachings, not because it's pure rote obedience, but because by obeying his teachings, like trying to, learning his words, and trying to put them into practice, he moves into us, and we become more like him. And it changes who we are, right? I'm not the same man I was when I met my wife. Like, Jesus has changed me over the years. He's taught me to keep his commands. He's taught me to be obedient. He's taught me to walk with him. He's made it possible for me to overcome, like, some of the worst, like, garbage in my life like because he indwells he lives in me um when i have a bad day like i generally pout about it for a little while and then i grumble and then i sit and think about it and i get angrier and then like after my wife starts getting after me because i'm in a bad mood i'll go for a walk and i'll spend an hour praying about it and then suddenly like it's such a bad day because i've learned how to go to god and say this is what i'm struggling with i need some peace And I can actually find peace. If I work at it long enough, probably another 40 years, I'll get to the point where I do that before I'm cranky. Um, Or where I can look at bad days and just be in a good mood because I know who Jesus is and it's made me better. I know people who can do that. I can't. Um, And so, like, what he's talking about here is um, this byproduct of knowing him. He says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And it's not because we're not trying to keep his commands or because we are trying, because the Pharisees kept the commands, right? But they didn't know God. Knowing God sprouts out in your life. It grows out of you. You change and become different. And like you look at parts of your life, honestly, when I look at parts of my life that are out of harmony with God, it makes me feel rotten because I know that every little bit of unrighteousness, every little bit of sin, like Jesus carried on the cross. And so I actually have to deal with it. Because for me to back up and say, you know what, God, I know you're not happy with how I'm doing this, but, like, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, It's destructive to my relationship with him. And I want to be right with Jesus more than I want anything else in the world. And that's what it is to be in harmony, in a relationship, to know Christ. Um, if something gets in the way, I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to do whatever it takes to tear it down because I want to be right with Jesus. Um, I had a, well, no, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know we are in him. Now we're going to hit pause and we'll get to the second half of the sentence. But, um, But whoever keeps his word in him, Truly, the love of God is perfected. Now, this means love for God and love for those around you. It means an imitation of God's selfless love. It means that I love my neighbor because God created my neighbor. And I love my neighbor like, like without a desire of return from them. It means I love you guys without a desire of return from you. I've had folks say to me, well, I feel bad that I call and bother you, but I, like, I love you all. I, it's not a bother for me to talk with you all. Does that make sense? Like, I, I, uh, I got folks who will occasionally call me at 2 in the morning and say, I need a little support today. I'm fine with that. It might take me a half hour to wake up. <laughs> There's, but I'm happy to do it because, like, 
like, this is what it means to love, like, our neighbors, right? It's to love them the way God loves them. And it means to stand in that spot the way God stands in that spot. Um, and it's, it's, it's literally a byproduct of growing. It's not, I'm going to try really hard and love my neighbors. It's realizing God loved me this much, and so i got to love you all this much, right? God has put you in my care, like I am, you all are my flock in theory, right? And I, I, I love you all because God has given me, like, you all to love. Um, and I'd love you anyway, probably. Um, most of you. Come <laughs> on, that was funny. Um, but we know we're in them because we, this love is perfected. Um, if you want to know what that looks like, by the way, pick up the uh, book of 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's always read at marriages. It is not about romantic love. It is about agape love, which is selfless love God has for the creation. It means... Is, what is it? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong, etc., etc., etc. This is the love that God has for us. It is the love that God desires us to have for those around us. If you want to know how you're doing, back up and read it and say, Eric is patient, or Michael is patient, or um, Jeremy is patient, or I'm only picking on guys today, so there you go. Um, and read through it, fill your name in in relation, like instead of love and see like, how am I doing? And then strive for it, pray for it, like repent when you screw up at it. Um, and the more you do it, the more you pray over it, the more you, like, the more you become that because the son of God like indwells in us. Whoever said he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Obviously like those who say, oh, well, I believe in the literal word of God understood literally. This is a metaphor. Because you don't have to go and walk the same place as Jesus physically walked. He's saying, live the way Jesus lived. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means you love God more than you love anything else. Right? It means you spend time talking to God. It means when you encounter sin, you try not to do it. Right? It means um, when people do you wrong, you pray for them. Like, Jesus is literally hanging from a cross, nails driven through his hands and feet, like crown of thorns, whip raw, the whole nine yards, half dead already when they crucified him. And he says, Father, forgive these folks. They don't know what they're doing. That's a whole other level of walking, right? I don't think I could do that yet, but I hope to get there. He washed his disciples' feet, humiliated himself, serving the people he loved. Um, I even washed Judas' feet. Judas, the guy who's about to sell him to be crucified, and he loved him still and served him. Um, John is not saying something small here. He's saying, listen, if you want to know that you are in that place, that you know Jesus, it means learning, learning to live the life and learning to walk in him and learning to be filled with him, not through rote obedience, but through relationship with him. Um, you got to learn to play the piano figuratively because I'm in trouble otherwise. Um, what do we do with this? Well, honestly, John is throwing out a self-examination point. He is saying, if you want to know that you're right with Jesus, ask yourself, how am I doing with the commandments? How am I doing with what Jesus taught? How am I doing with turn the other cheek? How am I doing with walk the extra mile? How am I doing with um, sexual purity? How am I doing with um, my temper? How am I doing with like, like charity, giving to people who need, right? How am I doing with this stuff? Drop my glasses. Um, which means the sermon's almost over. Um, <laughs> because this is the measure. It's not the means. It's the measure. Um, if you're going to get 70 bushels of weed out of your out of your acre, right? That's a good number, right? If you're going to get 70 bushels of weed out of an acre, 
It is not, like, like that is the result of a lot of means, right? That's good weather. That's the right fertilizer. That's the right spray. That's, you know, the right grain, I assume. Um, that is all of these things working together, the right crop rotation. Is that right? Am I hitting this on the head? All right. Um, <laughs> I don't want to look stupid. Er. Um, <laughs> er. So... <laughs> My, my, like, how do you apply this? Ask yourself, how am I doing? If you're not sure, or if you think, I'm doing great, find somebody who knows you really well and will tell you the truth. That is a rarity. If you find somebody who will tell you the truth, you have found a treasure, and ask them. I can always ask my wife, how am I doing? And she will always be honest with me, right? Um, you want to know, come ask me, and I'll tell you. I'll always love you enough to be honest, even if you don't like me when we're done. Um, the reality is, like, like, well, how do you apply this? You ask yourself, how am I doing? And if you're not doing well, or if you're just not sure, then the question is, how, do you, how well do you know Jesus? Have you read anything that he had to say? Do you know any of his words? Do you know, um, do you know what his disciples taught? Do you know... Why he died for you? Do you know? Do you know any of it? Because knowing him and having a relationship with him is actually like the most important part. It's how you take the samples off the tray. It's how you learn to play piano. It's how you do all this stuff. And my challenge to you is to pursue this, um, not just to pursue it, to be hungry for it. One of my favorite bits of scripture, and I say that every week, and it's a different verse every time. Um, but in the Beatitudes, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and I keep wanting to re-preach the Beatitudes, but I did it just like a year ago. But it was like my favorite. Um, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. I have discovered if I am hungry, there is no ends I will not go to eat. Can I get an amen? I will eat things I don't like if I'm hungry enough, right? I've eaten at Arby's because I was hungry. <laughs> I've eaten my own cooking because I was hungry. I got off the couch the other day and made my own sandwich because <laughs> my wife was away. Um, if I am hungry enough to be right with God, I will chase after it. And the question is, are you hungry for it? Do you want it? Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to walk in harmony with him? Do you want new life? Do you want it enough to do hard things? Um, I was praying one day about sins I had committed. Like, God, what are some sins I've committed that I've, like, ignored? And I thought about a car accident I'd been in, like, years before. And I had lied about being at fault in it because of a whole lot of reasons. Um, and I, I was praying about it. And I was like, all right, got to go fix that. I'm like, well, that doesn't even make sense. I don't know where those people live. I don't know them. How am I going to find them? And I, I was like, God, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do that. And I kept praying, well, what else do I have to do? And this was all I could think about. And it got to the point after several days that it was all I thought about. And I was like, fine, I'll go do this. And I went and I thought roughly the neighborhood where I was in the accident. I went door to door knocking on doors saying, I was in an accident here a few years ago and I lied about it. Was that you? No, I'm sorry. I'll go to the next house. <laughs> And I did that. And then finally I knocked on her door and the guy looked at me and said, you're Eric Sietzema. <laughs> yeah. It's like, was I in an accident with, with your wife? Yep. Like, well, I, I lied about it. I came to apologize. And I'll, I'll pay for whatever damage it was. And the guy's like, hold on a second. Come on into my house. 
And he calls all his kids in and has them sit down on the couch. And he's like, say it again. This is like three years later. And I said it again. But you know why? Because it was at a point in my life where I realized I was not right with God. And I said, God, whatever I have to do, I will do it. I am hungry to be right. Because I'm awesome? No, it actually because I'm pretty rotten. Um, but I would do anything to be right. And that's what, like, this desire, that hunger and thirst. My question for you is, like, do you even desire it? Not that I'm not saying go apologize to people. God does crazy stuff with me, I think. Um, my calling isn't your calling. But what are you willing to do to be right with God? How far are you willing to go? What steps will you take? Um, because knowing Jesus, like, like, like taking those steps. It's the reason I can't play piano is because I won't practice. There, I told the truth. Because I'm pretty sure I could at least learn some, even without rhythm. A lot, <laughs> a lot of folks don't know Jesus because they won't, they won't take the steps, right? Won't get to know him. A lot of people, they, don't, they won't do it. Um, I'm, my wife's pointing at her watch. We have nursing home today. If you want to come and like do worship with the nursing home folks, like it's a huge blessing to them. It is an act of love that like like is huge um, for folks who can do nothing for you, um, which is awesome. Um, so that is like in half or 15 minutes. We got to be there. Um, 20 minutes, 30, 30. Um, so we'll close in prayer. And, and my challenge to you again is: um, Are you hungry? Are you right? And what are you willing to do to get there? Um, If you don't know what to do, talk to me. I'll help you. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you'd help us to walk in harmony with you. I pray that you'd help us to know you more intimately. Help us to chase after you and be filled with you. Lord, teach us to, to, to literally just walk in you and not just know you or know about you. In Jesus' name, amen.